All right, good morning, everybody. Welcome to New Life Church. Hope is here, amen? Amen, hope is here. Awesome, hope is here because why? If you were here last week, hope is here because Jesus is here. All right, remember, like when the pastor asks you a question, the normal answer is Jesus, all right? So I'm just, I'm just, I try to help you guys with this all the time. And then you guys, like, you stare at me like I've tricked you or something. No, I will trick you probably every fifth time, all right? So four out of five ain't bad, all right? So where Jesus is, hope is there, guys. And this is the good news. So my name's Jeff. I'm the lead pastor here. It's a joy to be with all of you here at our Kearney campus. I want to say hello to everybody worshiping with us at Ogallala, North Platte, all of our other campuses, including our online campus. We're excited to have you joining with us. Last week, there was a, uh, there was a person watching online, and I hope you're watching again today, committed their life to Jesus Christ, surrendered their heart to, to, to the Lord, and, to, and decided that Jesus can be the Lord and the leader just by being a part of our online campus. Thank you, guys. Thank you so much for making that decision. We're glad to have you with us. We're excited about that, right? Come on. <clears throat> you better believe it. It's awesome. You know, every single week at New Life Church, there's somebody that's committing their heart to Christ. And many times there's multiple people that are doing that at all of our campuses. It's really exciting. Well, last week, if you weren't here, I want to encourage you to go to mynewlifechurch.com and watch last week's message, okay? This is a four-week series about hope is here, and I don't want you to miss a single one of them. I believe they're going to be really edifying, and they're going to build you up. Uh, but last week, just to kind of catch you up, all right, just to catch you up, uh, last week we talked about how we find hope in our relationship with Jesus. We also talked about how we find hope in the fellowship that we share with other believers. But then we also talked about two things that I just felt like were like mind-blowing things. And the first one had to do with that Jesus had an exchange policy, that we could exchange our weary, broken, tired state and find his rest for our soul. Um, and many of us were like, what? He had an exchange policy and I didn't know about it. And so now you're going to use it, right? So that's awesome. But then lastly, it's what we've talked about so far, where Jesus is, hope is there. And, and that was revolutionary. And we all need hope. Every single one of us, we need hope in, in some state, fashion, or form. And it may have been that last week's message didn't really hit you. Like the crosshairs really didn't hit your issue in your heart. That, you know, maybe it was like, I don't know that I necessarily need hope for being weary. I don't feel tired or weary or wore out. Okay, well then look, let me tell you today that you all need, though, hope for, for your brokenness. And that's what we want to talk about today. Hope for the broken. Because our brokenness equals our sin. And we've all sinned, we've all been broken, and we all need the hope that Jesus can provide from our broken state. Our lives very much represent like this vase that I'm going to put on the screen. This vase, it's perfect. Everything about it is nice. You can see that it's kind of China-like, right? And it's kind of like our lives. It's fragile. If it drops, it's going to break, right? It can get cracked. It can get beat up. Things can happen to it, right? And it all, those things come from our choices that we make. The choices that we make, they will affect that vase, and eventually the decisions that we make have consequences to them, and those consequences you know, can be devastating to our lives. And we've all, if that vase represents our life, we've all chosen poorly at one point or another, and, and we've all made mistakes, right, that have fallen and have led our, our lives to sin, led our lives to being broken. All of us, every single one of us in this room, everybody watching online, 
everybody at all of our campuses, we've all made those mistakes and we've fallen and our lives have been broken. And it may, your, your brokenness may have come across in the sense of like a relationship that falls apart or you lose a job or your finances suffer or maybe it is even this like a marriage gets strained. And when those things happen, you, you kind of get overwhelmed by your brokenness and what your brokenness has caused because what your brokenness has caused has literally been a break. And now you're fragmented and you're in all these different pieces and you're trying to pick them all up and you're stressed out and you know people are disappointed in you and you start to feel kind of abandoned by God. You start to look at others and you instantly are putting judgmental thoughts into their mind whether they are judging you or they're not. Our brokenness does weird things to us and it causes us to distance ourselves from God and distance ourselves from the very people that we need. But it's in moments like this in moments like this where our sin has broke us that we need hope the most i mean it doesn't feel good to anybody in this room it doesn't feel good to have your sin exposed for other people to see does it anybody like that nobody likes it at any campus any anywhere online doesn't matter what country or language you speak you just don't like it. Why was it do? It starts to make you feel guilty. It starts to make you feel shameful. But that doesn't have to be the end of the story. Because when Jesus meets you in your sin, or when Jesus meets you in your brokenness, hope shows up. I want to help you understand this. There's no better place to see this than in John chapter 8. In John chapter 8, you find this, that Jesus is teaching at the temple. It's in the morning. Uh, He had been over on the Mount of Olives. He had came back into Jerusalem proper, and he goes into the temple, and he starts to teach in the morning until Jesus is interrupted immediately by a fairly decent-sized crowd of religious leaders. And they're dragging a woman along with with them that has been basically broken in her sin, and, And, and she is devastated as she's been now caught, and her sin is being exposed. And in John chapter 8, verse 1, Let's start there. It says that Jesus returned uh, to the Mount of Olives, but early the next morning, he was back again at the temple. A crowd soon gathered, and he sat down and he taught them. As he was speaking, the teachers of religious law and the Pharisees, they brought a woman who had been caught in the act of adultery. They put her in front of the crowd. Teacher, they said to Jesus. This woman was caught in the act of adultery. The law of Moses said to stone her, what do you say? Because watch what they were doing. They were trying to trap him into saying something, right, that they could use against him. Now look, before you judge the woman and you go, well, she was caught in adultery. Like she deserves some kind of punishment, Jeff. And before you go to the opposite end of the ditch and you go, well, she, she committed adultery. Why? They don't have to stone her to death. Like that's barbaric. Well, before you start injecting your own opinion and your own thoughts, right, into the scripture, what you really need to first go to is this, that this woman represents every single one of us. She represents you. She represents you right now. She represents your past, right? She represents us because she is the woman who has been broken by her sin, just like all of us have been broken by our sin, and we are all, we all have experienced this brokenness. All of us. Every single one of us have experienced brokenness, It just so happens that this woman's brokenness, her sin, is being exploited by these religious leaders. 
They've brought this woman, they've stuck her in the middle between them and their ideals and Jesus. And they're trying to trap Jesus by exploiting this woman's sin and by exposing her sin in the temple, by the way, which is going to act like the gossip center. I don't want it to be that, but it tends to act that way. And at this day and age, when there is no cable news, the message that they heard in the temple is being broadcast now. And her story is now the frontline story. It only took a matter of minutes, and now her story is getting out, and people are spreading it, and people are like, what? What's going on? And people are gathering from the temple courts. People are gathering from the marketplace, and they're coming in as this commotion is taking place inside of the temple. How do you think that she felt? How do, you, how, do you, how do you think she felt? She's been drugged. She got caught. They captured her. They grabbed her. They drug her through the streets. Thankfully, they have drug her to a place where Jesus is, because I think the story is going to end better for her. But how do you think she felt? I mean, how would you feel if, you know, your sin was being exposed today, right now, on this stage, in the temple? What if we drug you up here, right? Those horrible deacons drug you up here, which we don't have. But, you know, just use it for, it's, it's for the, you know, the effect of it. They drug you up here, right, and they're exposing your sin to everybody. W- would you love it? Of course you wouldn't. Right now you're like, how do I get out the back door before something crazy like that happens at this church? Nothing like that is going to happen. Trust me, not today. You're starting to catch on, guys. You're waking up slowly. The coffee's kicking in. That's good. Now, you wouldn't like it. Why? Because it would be painful. It would be painful. To have your sin exposed is painful. When I was a kid, I grew up in St. Louis. Anybody else grow up in uh, St. Louis or Missouri? Anybody? Any other camp? Okay. We, got a, oh, we, got a, we got a couple. Okay, good. Good. And they're, on, they're my wife, and they're on staff with us. So there you go. But when I was a kid, man, in St. Louis, it used to snow a lot. It doesn't hardly snow there anymore. And I feel bad for kids, like, because they just don't get as many, like, you know, days out of school uh, for snow days. But we used to get a snow day, man. We'd go outside. Man. We'd get all of our gear on. We'd be playing outside all day long. You'd play outside until your, your hands and your, your fingers and your toes were numb, okay? Anybody remember those days? You would just be out there, like, you were just having a blast you didn't even recognize that you can't feel anything in your fingers anymore right and your toes are cold but who cares it's snow day we're out of school let's play let's have a good time and then when you finally come in and you take those gloves off did you ever take really super cold hands and stick them into warm water you ever done that what happens when you do that you scream right it hurts It, it tingles Right? And the, it stings like that. And it would hurt like that, but it was, also, it was also good because, man, warmth was coming back. Our sin being exposed is one of the worst feelings, and it can be one of the best feelings. It's like those fingers, they got so cold that if you kept going that way, it was going to cause serious, severe damage. It's painful to have it exposed, but it was also a good pain because it was bringing about restoration. So on, on one hand, it's horrible to have your sin exposed because now everybody knows the truth about who you are. But on the other hand, it's wonderful to have your sin exposed because now everybody knows the truth of who you are. It's like the weight 
gets lifted off of you. And if, if that's ever happened to you, it was horrible but wonderful because finally the real you was out there. And the pain of your cold sin being exposed did something. It brought about the warmth of a fresh start. That's what happens in our life. And that's what we start to see happening for this woman who's drugged before Jesus. The woman drugged there, I don't know, was she like drugged and thrown into the dirt? And as the crowd gathered around her, she was just down there trying to almost hide herself? Or was she, you know, caught, was she standing in between two of them, almost like these religious leaders of the, the modern-day police or something? And they've got her there, and they brought her before the judge, and they're holding her up, and she's got her head drooped, and her hair is hanging down, and she's trying to disguise herself. I, I don't know exactly what the picture looks like, but I just know this, she was caught. Her sin was exposed. She was truly guilty. She was like a dead woman walking. This group, if they hadn't come by Jesus with her to exploit her sin at this moment, they would have already, you would never even heard of her. They would have drug her out to the area where they stoned people, and they would have stoned her to death. She was a dead woman walking. She was a woman who had lost hope. But all of a sudden, Jesus intervened. And he gave this woman a fresh start. When Jesus intervenes in our brokenness, he has the ability to give us a fresh start. Isn't that good news? Verse 6, it says that Jesus stooped down and he wrote in the dust with his finger. They kept demanding an answer, so Jesus stood up again. All right, but let the one who has never sinned throw the first stone. Then he stooped back down and he wrote in the dust. And when the accusers heard this, they slipped away one by one, beginning with the oldest, until only Jesus was left in the middle of the crowd with the woman. I know a lot of people have speculated on what did Jesus write, and that's like the mystery of the passage, and when you get to heaven, you can ask him. Right? But I think that Jesus did this. I think, he's, I think he, he knelt down on the ground, and with his finger or with a stick or with a rock, he started writing the sins of those who had accused the woman. And as they started to see their own sins, and they heard that, you know, hey, look, if you don't have any sin, throw the first stone. Then the oldest and the wisest dropped their stones. They learned the lesson. And watch this. They walked away quietly. They didn't walk away yelling accusations as they walked until they drifted into an alley someplace. They recognized their wrong. They wanted to get out of that situation. They realized they had crossed the line that they, that they were the ones who had sin, and how dare they who have sin be the ones who cast stone or judge those who now are caught in sin. So they drifted away, the oldest, all the way to the youngest, until now they were all gone. And what did Jesus do? Jesus created a place of hope for this woman. It's a beautiful picture. Did you know that that's exactly what Jesus wants for his church, though? Jesus wants his church to be a place of hope for the broken. And you and me have a part to play in that. I think that the local church really should be kind of like a hospital. And that's really what it's for. It, it, it's for those who are broken, those who are willing to humble themselves and go, look, I don't have it all figured out. Those who are on a journey to love Christ, know Christ, be more like Jesus. The, the church should be like a hospital for the broken and where, where the broken come in, and then there are others that are here that love the broken. But that means there's two parts that have to be played. There's the sinners, 
that are going to walk through the doors of New Life Church today, and some are even listening to my voice right now. And the sinners have a part to play, and that's this, to humble yourself and confess to the Lord Jesus Christ, I'm broken, and I'm in need of a Savior. I'm in need of the hope, Jesus, that only you can provide. But then the local church has a, has a, a, has a part to play. We have to respond correctly now to the broken. And I just, want to let, I just want people in the room that would call themselves believers at all of our campuses, if you call yourself a follower of Jesus Christ, warning, because over time, it's easy to forget the disgustingness of your own sin. It's easy, to, it's easy to forget over time how bad your sin actually smelled. Because it did. It did. And when we forget that, we're in big trouble. Because church people are notoriously forget what it was like for their, for their life to be broken. And church people then start to judge the broken instead of doing what Jesus did and intervening for the broken. I'm convinced. I, I just am convinced in my life after watching, you know, thousands and thousands of, of believers, I'm convinced that if you forget what it's like to have been broken, to have been a sinner, then you're never going to be ready to love the broken that God brings to the doors of New Life Church. Now, you don't have to live in it. You don't have to relive it. You don't have to keep telling people about all your sin, but I'm just telling you this. If you can't close your eyes and remember back to the moment of your brokenness, of your sinful state, you can't close your eyes and go back there, then you're not going to be ready to love those who walk through the doors who are broken because more often than not, you're going to, instant, you're going to like position yourself greater than them, higher than them. You're going to be disgusted by their sin, and you're going to forget the fact that your sin was equally disgusting as well. So let me tell you what does make, though, an attractive church. Okay, because this is good. What does make an attractive church? When, when the world comes in to the church and they see us extending grace and forgiveness to one another. That's attractive. Let me tell you what else is attractive. When the world comes in and they hear us willing to confess our brokenness and our sins. You know, some of the greatest feedback I ever get is when I pull back the veil and I, and I go back to some of my brokenness and I let you know that, look, I got this in my past. Did you realize that that's some of the, those sermons are some of the sermons I get the most feedback on? Why? Because people are like, I can relate. And one of the things that this world's looking for is can they walk through the doors and can they find a common ground to start with? Right? Let me tell you what else is attractive is when the world walks into the doors and they see us living under the grace of Jesus every day. They see us living underneath it because when they see us living it out, then they're, they're, they're more comfortable to believe that maybe this is a place that will extend that same grace to me. And this is the very lesson that Jesus was teaching us when he said those words, let the one who has never sinned throw the first stone. Like, look, none of us have the right to throw the first stone. But that doesn't mean that we just like turn a blind eye to sin either. That's not what Jesus was saying. All Jesus was saying was this, drop your stones and exchange your stones to be on my team and show grace and forgiveness to the broken. Guys, that's the, that's the mission. The mission is we get to drop the stones. We get to drop the judgmentalness. We get to drop those pieces, right? We get to drop the greater than, mightier than then, higher than thou statements. And we get to join with Jesus in the mission of loving the broken right where they are, but loving them too much to leave them there. And that's exactly what you see Jesus doing 
As we pick up the story in verse 10, it says, Then Jesus, he stood up again, and he said to the woman, Where are your accusers? Didn't even one of them condemn you? No, Lord, she said. And then Jesus said, Neither do I. Don't forget that. It's mind-blowing to me. Neither do I. Where are your condemners? They're not here anymore. Good. Neither do I condemn you. But then Jesus says something profound. So here's what I want you to do. I want you to go and sin no more. Would you just like let this little moment come alive inside of you? Would you go back to that childhood you know, behavior where you imagined things? Because right? some of you, you haven't imagined something for a long time. Right? So imagine this. Imagine what Jesus, what his face looked like when he told that woman, I don't condemn you. Now go and sin no more. What do you think his face looked like? You think it was all like gnarled up? You know? You think it was ticked off? I can't believe you put me in this situation. I was teaching and because of your sin, my teaching session got interrupted and I lost all my students. Lost my train of thought. I don't even know where I'm at. You think that's what Jesus was like? I mean, you think that you saw, like, you know, you, you can read nonverbal. What do you think the nonverbal of Jesus' face was like? It's full of compassion and full of love. What do you think his voice actually sounded like when he told her, I don't condemn you, so go and sin no more? You think it was harsh? You think it was like, you know, hey, look, I, I don't condemn you either. Now, look, woman, get out of my sight and go and sin no more. You think it was that? And they just wanted to, like, oh, man, let's write that a little nicer. I mean, no, of course it wasn't. It was, a, it was a voice that was full of compassion and was full of love. And for the very first time in this woman's brokenness, she met hope. I mean, look at this. There's three things that Jesus did and no one else did. Jesus was the only one in the story who didn't condemn her. Jesus is the only one in the story who doesn't want to punish her. And Jesus is the only one in the story who offers grace for her brokenness. No one else did. He didn't condemn her. He doesn't punish her. He offers grace. I'm just going to tell you that that example is where Jesus wants you and me to be. That's where he wants us to live. And I'm going to let you know this, that Jesus did that for that woman. He did it for me, and he can do it for you today. And Jesus is here to show you that same kind of grace And he wants to meet you in your brokenness, but he loves you too much to leave you in your brokenness. I want you to hear this loud and clear today. Pay attention. Jesus didn't condone her sin in the story. That's not what he did, because his last words were just the opposite of condoning sin. In fact, he called her out as a person who has sinned. So he says to her, go and sin no more. He says it in a very positive way. Instead of going to the negative, instead of going back to what had happened, Jesus meets her in her sinful state and he points her to a hopeful and a hope-filled future by telling her, I know you have sinned, just go and sin no more. That's Jesus. Because why? Because Jesus cares about how you live your life. That's why Jesus can meet you where you are right now. He's not... He's not going to like slam you for the sin you have done, but he's going to meet you and he wants, to, he wants to empower you by the Holy Spirit to go and live a life that doesn't sin anymore. That's what he's looking for in our lives. 
And by the power of his spirit, we can eradicate sin, one sin after another, out of our lives. Will it ever be completely eradicated? No. Will you forever be tempted? Yes. It is true. Will you forever be tempted? But you don't have to succumb to the temptation. So Jesus cares about how we live our lives. Why? Because he, he doesn't want us to live in a constant state of brokenness. He didn't die on the cross so that you and me could daily live in brokenness. He died on the cross so that we could surrender our lives to him so he could put us back together again. You, you know, like, remember that broken vase? You remember it? Jesus can put it all back together again, and that's what he wants to do. And you might, you might go like, look, it's impossible. It can't happen. Jeff, you don't know my life, man. You don't know the laundry list of sin, and it is deep. Adultery, that's just the beginning. It doesn't matter what the list looks like. I'm going to tell you this right now. It's by the grace that Jesus provides that any life can be put back together again. Your spouse can be put back together again. Your son, your daughter, who's walked away, can be put back together again. And basically, God's in the business of putting broken pieces back together again. Contrary to popular belief, by the way. Because people believe that God looks at broken people and he goes, I'm going to crush you. Like humanity is some video game. And he looks for those who are broken and he just takes them out. No, we are the ones who tend to make our broken lives worse by the choices that we keep making, which leads me really to this. Everybody who's listening to my voice today, you have a choice to make. You can either live in your broken state of sin or you can confess your sin to God and find hope, hope for the broken. And God gives a promise to those who are broken and are willing to confess. Here's his promise, 2 Corinthians 5, 17. He says, anyone who belongs to Christ has become a what? A new person. The old life is gone and the new life has begun. Can I just say this to you, that living the new life, this is what it looks like to live in grace. This new life, when we strive to live it, it's a, it's a perfect, beautiful picture of what it looks like to live in grace. That we're walking every day realizing that, God, I'm not enough. But through the power of your spirit and the death of your son, Jesus, on the cross and his resurrection, my sins can be forgiven and I can live a victorious life. The old self, right? It's, it begins to disappear, and this new man keeps living. It's a beautiful picture of what it looks like to live in grace. And it's a daily process. And it's for you, but if you'll allow me to do this today, I would like to say this. It's for the local church as well. We, we have to find a new rhythm. And we have to live a new life as well, even in our church, that where grace is showed to each of us and forgiveness is showed to one another and it's extended to the stranger who walks through the doors. I just happen to believe that New Life Church, at all of our campuses and our online campus, that at New Life Church, New Life Church should be the place on earth where grace is exposed and seen more than anywhere else on earth. New Life Church. And then when people walk in our doors, they should go, wow, I, I experienced more grace at New Life Church than I did anywhere else on earth. What kind of a church would that be like? It would be awesome. And we all have a part to play in it. 
we all, we all get to participate in this, in, this, in this process of, you know, allowing people to experience this grace that's overwhelming. Why? Because it's God's plan. It was God's amazing plan to exchange grace for sin. It wasn't mine. It was God's. So this whole message really boils down to this one basic equation. That the grace of God plus the grace found in the local church is what equals hope in a person's life. We all have a part to play. Obviously, without what God did, no grace is ever going to be extended. But guys, when what God has done gets coupled with what grace can be in your life and it gets shown to others, now this world can start to say, wow, there's hope for my brokenness. And now you that are here today exploring if Jesus Christ is going to be your Lord and your leader, you can say, wow, there can be hope for my brokenness. I just want you to know today this, an attribute about God. That God loves you enough that even God will expose your sins. You're like, well, I thought that was was just those religious leaders with those bad attitudes. Yeah, they do that. They do it for a different reason. God will expose your sin for a whole different reason. Here's the reason. Because he wants you to be whole. Like a broken vase. He wants to put it all back together again. Jesus wants to heal your brokenness. Because he already paid for your brokenness on the cross. And he wants to extend to you grace. Here's the good news about God. God doesn't expose your sin to shame you. He exposes your sin to change you. And that's radically different. It's a radically different approach than those religious leaders. God loves you enough that he'll at times allow your sin to be exposed, not to shame you, but because he wants to change you into who he made you to be. So here's what we need to do today. We need to bring our sin to God and we need to let him put it all back together again. Only God can do that. And God can restore hope today in this, in this church. He can restore hope to you that are maybe weary. He can, he can restore hope to you who live one thing on the outside, but you're a whole different thing on the inside. He can restore hope to you who are one thing in public and another thing in private. He can restore hope to you today. But what we're going to have to do is we got to bring our sin to him. If we don't bring our sin to him, if we don't confess, that's our part. That's what sinners do. If we don't bring our part, then hope can't be extended. But here's what you will find at New Life Church. You're going to meet with the one, Jesus Christ, who wants to offer you grace. But you're also going to meet with a, with a community called New Life Church that wants to extend grace. So I want to remind you today that the altars at New Life Church are for the hungry. They're for the hungry. They're for those that are here today that are going, I, I need hope for my brokenness. And if you'll come and you'll stand at our altars at all of our campuses, if you'll come and you'll stand and you'll worship along with our worship team, you're not going to stand alone. There will be other new lifers standing with you. Some of them standing with you going, God, I'm offering you my brokenness. Others will be coming and they will be praying with you that God would heal you, that God would work a miracle in your life. They're just going to love you. They're not going to condemn you. No one's going to get condemned at New Life Church today because of their brokenness. But people are going to be celebrated. People are going to be loved. People are going to walk out changed. People are going to experience hope for the brokenness today at New Life Church. Why? Because where Jesus is, there is hope. So why don't you stand with me? 
And as we go into this time of worship, if you would like to come and you would like to stand in the front of any of our campuses and worship, please do so. What would people think about me? Man, I got no idea because I'm not them. I know what Jesus is going to think. And I know what people that got their heads screwed on straight is going to think. And they're going to be like, I wish I had that kind of boldness. And then others are going to come and they're going to love you and they're going to pray with you and they're going to meet you. God's going to work a miracle. So let's pray. Father, thank you for what you're doing here at this church. Thank you for what you're, you're doing in our lives. Thank you that where you are, there is hope. Thank you that this beautiful picture of how you restored this woman and how you, you chased away those who were the condemning voice. And Lord, you do that in our lives. You chase away the voice of Satan that tries to condemn us um, from our sin. And you, you lure us into yourself where we can find hope for our brokenness. And you, you, we find safety with you. We, we, we don't find condemnation. We find freedom. We find a God who loves us where we are but then says to us, go and sin no more. But you empower us to be able to accomplish that mission that seems right now impossible. But you empower us to do it. You do, you empower it by the Holy Spirit in us, and you empower it by your grace where you say, look, I'm not going to put you ever in a situation where you're going to be tempted beyond what you can handle. Lord, so thank you for your grace that you extend to us on both sides of that. Lord, we trust you today. We trust you here at New Life Church, and Lord, we ask that the power of your Holy Spirit would show up and you would provide hope for the broken. In Jesus' name, amen.